I actually think strategists need to be more creative than creative. He said that it's uh, simple to be happy, but it's difficult to be simple. It is a creative act to, to take away things and leave only the essential stuff. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a journey to share ideas and stories that matter. And uh, this week's guest is the amazing Roshni Hegeman, Executive Strategy Director at Hero, which is um, affiliated to the McCann Group. And you'll hear me say that she works for McCann and she's asked us to point out that she works at Hero here in Australia. Um, a strategy director is the brains behind an advertising campaign. And so I was fascinated to hear how creativity plays a role in her job and what other insights she might have about creativity in the world of advertising. Chris, it was a really entertaining discussion. And I, as always, it always blows me away the things that we learn every time we have a new guest. And But what I learned today was the connection between creativity and stand-up. And I think that is a really useful insight. And it's one that I've missed, and although, as you know, I've done some stand-up, but uh, that was a great insight. So uh, should we get Roshni on? Let's get Roshni in. You might think we're joking about stand-up. Uh-huh. But we're not. It's a serious point. Let's get her in. Roshni Hedgeman. Roshni Hedgeman, um, a huge welcome to The Common Creative. We're very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Roshni. And for anyone listening, Roshni's in Sydney, I'm in Sydney. Paul, you're up in Brisbane and we can't see water lapping your, your feet at the moment. Are, are you safe? Is there much water around you? Uh, we're, we're safe now, but I believe you guys are getting uh, belted at the moment. So, uh, yeah, we're yeah, it's a hell of a week. I think I'm going to swim home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're recording on the 1st of March and there's big weather systems leaving Queensland and heading for Sydney. So we'll see how we go. Roshni, um, we met through a client and you work at one of the world's best-known, greatest ad agencies, McCann Erickson, um, and you're a strategic planner. Now, I've seen strategic planners at work many times, but I think to the wide world out there, they, they wouldn't know what a strategic planner does or why they... Can you start with that? What do strategic planners do? I, I should explain. When I hear strategic plan, I think of um, a character called Brains in Thunderbirds. <laughs> do you remember Thunderbirds? And, the, and he's the guy with yeah. the big glasses going, oh, oh we've got to yeah. get, get the nuclear... There's Paul going with the... <laughs> the brain boxes is what I think. But perhaps you could give us a little bit more flesh on yeah. the boats. Oh, Chris, I was hoping you'd tell me. I was. <laughs> um, look, I think um, when we think about like a strategic planner, it's really about um, helping clients um, really define um, the choices that they need to make at a business level and at a creative level um, and really helping them navigate that, but also um, really looking at understanding how those choices are going to best resonate and communicate with people in an effective way. I mean, at, the, at, at its simplest, it's about helping clients make choices. Um, so that's that's how I, I guess articulate it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but um, at the end of the day, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And and because we have a little bit of a external 
um, viewpoint from the creative process, we're able to dive deep into the client's business and understand it from their perspective, but also then um, look at it in terms of, well, actually, how's that going to translate in the real world? How's it going to actually resonate? And is that something that's going to um, drive traction? Is that something that's going to be sticky? Is that something that people are going to lean into? Roshni, how did you end up in that sort of position? Like what, 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 what's behind you that gets you to that point? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, oh, look, I think I went through a very non-traditional way of getting to where I've gotten to. I mean, I when I was studying in college, I started studying economics um, and I really wanted to be like Alan Greenspan. Like, don't ask me why, but... <laughs> I thought, oh, I want to, I want to control the treasury and the interest rates and um, you know those types of things. And then um, I quickly um, lost interest in it because I do have a really strong kind of human and creative bone um, in my body. And and so then I thought, oh, actually, I want to put my kind of humanity to work and and really work in the social sciences space. And I, I thought at one point I, I should go into social work, but I have um, Indian parents who are quite um, strong about their opinions on the type of um, career paths their children should take. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they were quite um, strong in advising that that's a really good um, hobby to be to be had, but not necessarily a good career choice. So um, I, then I got into, I had this great mentor, um, Jan Slater, um, and someone I still kind of connect in with. And she, was, she used to run an agency in the United States, um, her own little agency. She got into journalism and then she started working at the Scripps School of Journalism and then she kind of recruited me, I guess you could say, into that space um, through a couple of conversations and things like that. And I loved it. I loved doing the store visits and counting the product on shelf and the facings and figuring out the market share that way. And um, I, I really loved it. And then I just got enamored by, you know, the simplicity of creativity, um, that when you can really boil it down and you have a really strong insight and you can then visualize that, how like instantaneously it gives you a different perspective on the world. Um, and so I really fell in love primarily with print advertising. Like some of the best print advertising I've seen has visually and graphically taken really complex um, ideas and, and things and just really boiled it down into a beautiful, um, simplistic way of, of communication. So would love um, to hear more about that yeah. idea of simplicity because it's, it is a creative act to, to take away things and leave only the essential stuff in the interest of getting an idea across to somebody. Is there a, how do you, how do you boil something down? Because I've, uh, you and I have both seen classic advertising briefs. They run to sort of 10, 20, 30 pages. They usually start in 1874, somebody crossed the road and formed this company. And you, and you think, you know, why am I being told this? And somewhere in amongst all that, or maybe in market research or store visits, you've got to find a really simple a nugget that's going to be the key to getting that brand or that product it, connected with the consumer. How do, you, how do you get to that simplicity? You know, I actually, um, I actually look to comedians. <laughs> funnily enough, um, when I was in Chicago uh, and I was growing, uh, you know, growing in this, growing up, growing in this industry, I actually took a course at Second City. Um, so that's you know, a famous uh, comedic club that you know, like John Belushi and a number of other people have kind of come through. But they actually teach you, you know 
how to boil down your thoughts or your insights or your ideas into a way that people can um, understand it, but also like have a perspective, have a simplistic idea that people that has a fresh look on it. So I actually think that um, when we talk about simplicity, the people who do it best are comedians because they, (laughs) you know, they are able, at least from a strategic and a creative point of view, because they're able to um, look at the world Um, take what's happening in there, um, really then have a point of view on that and then deliver it in a way that, um, you know, you can't help but go, oh, shit, you're right. (laughs) And then laugh about it. Paul is a fellow stand-up comic. Paul, I hope you're going to give us part of your routine right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that is interesting. I'm I'm curious you said that about creativity and I have done some stand-up. I'm assuming you did some stand-up up to that course, Washney? Oh, no, I wasn't very funny. <laughs> I couldn't get my punchline. <laughs> I, I did read a, uh, a, a quote the other day from someone, and I think he was a, a, a Bangladeshi uh, guru, who said that it's uh, simple to be happy, but it's difficult to be simple. Um, mm. And I know this is not, it's not about being happy, about being, cre- about cre- being creative. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting insight that, that uh, comedians do have to to really cut it down, and the whole thing about you can't have a long backstory, otherwise you lose people. You know, you got to mm. get to the point really quickly, and that and that observational humour. Um, I think that's a that's a great uh, that's a great insight. Um, yeah, well, I mean, for me, is they have to set the context right. They've got to give you enough context where you understand the situation or you can associate it to something that you relate to or have seen or, or, or you might be thinking yourself and then they've got to give you the fresh perspective (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and they've got to turn you and, and kind of take you through that. And then at the end of the end of it, um, you know, they've got to then give you the punchline basically. Um, Yeah. Which the punchline is the resolution, you know, of that attention, the resolution. So, it is interesting because you know the whole all the you know creative processes about you know the research and the thinking and then the doing and then you know the finally the resolution. So I, I think it is a, a great uh, a great observation. Um, it's it, the thing I find fascinating about uh, a comedian is is that often you find yourself saying to yourself that's so true. They've spotted something that you haven't spotted before, and yet when they point it out, you go. Of course, and, and so the, the, uh, I, may, I can see the connection there with strategic planning. You spot things in front of everybody's faces, and yet nobody's thought it's odd, or nobody's thought there's a, a joke, or it might be an angle for a particular brand to use to kind of explain exactly. what it's about. Um, exactly, and so I think that's what, at the end of the day, that's that's really the role of strategic planning, and whether you're looking at it in the context of business strategy or organizational strategy or whether you're looking at the context of you know creative strategy or innovation strategy what you're trying to do is find the aha or the you know the the punchline really um that's gonna that's gonna be different and you know they're different punchlines you know there's not one punchline that's correct there's no one way or one path it's about um making a choice and 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 enjoying with it um, Roshni, I'm, I'm interested. You said earlier that you know you, you had all these different um, things you wanted to do. Interestingly, at one stage, I did have social work on my options. <laughs> so it's maybe sort of this idea that you know empathy or whatever. But you also mentioned creativity. Um, do you feel that your role 
now, you know, as a strategic planner, which has obviously got some pragmatic aspect to it, besides finding the aha moment, is allowing you the creative expression that, that, that you desire or that your heart desires? I actually think strategists need to be more creative than creatives. <laughs> Um, and, and the reason why I think that is because, um, you know, we actually need to come up with the angle. We need to come up with the, the choice. We need to come up with the, what I call the strategic idea, the, the compass, the guide, the, the thing that's going to direct, um, or springboard basically where the creatives are going to ideate off of. And if they don't have a clear direction, then their ideation and their creativity can go all over the place. And they're not actually then focusing their thinking in the right space. And so I think a strategist actually has to come up with an idea before the creatives have to come up with an idea. And then the creatives need to take that and then use that to like, you know, really be able to, um, you know, bring that to life in a really, in a really um, powerful way. So um, it's not to say that I'm a creative. I don't want to take away from what the creatives do, but I, but I do think strategists have a role to play with, with, um, really, Trophy, I'm going to jump forward. in there. You've, you've touched a rather raw nerve when you said, <laughs> "I'm not a creative," because you know we've got you've got Paul and I, the common creatives, and at a show called the Common Creative. And our view is everyone's a creative, and I actually have a an axe to grind with the advertising industry because they have a department which is called the creative department. And usually it's sort of people in black T-shirts kind of um, mucking about writing scripts or coming up with adverts and so on. But th- and the flaw that this generates is that if an ad-, ad agency has a department called the creative department, that means every other department, including the strategist, must be not creative. And I, I absolutely agree with you that the creative, the strategy that a, a strategist writes for a brand is a huge creative decision. And then, in, in a way, the, the actual creatives, the copywriters, the art directors, in a way, are servants to that direction. So, you know, we need to say that this is the best-tasting product on the market or the cheapest or the one that's going to make the kids so happy or whatever you, you decide. They then have to execute that in words and pictures and whatever it might be. So I, I absolutely think you, without doubt, are a creative. Yes, you may not be in that department in the corner called the creative department, but um, it's a myth that the ad agency has built up that oh, creatives only live in ad agencies and they, only those people in black T-shirts and so on. It's, it's terrible. I think it's undermined a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Fair, <laughs> fair point. I agree. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. for that. So, Rosalie, just to describe your role, uh, are you a little bit like the bumper rails you know, of uh, kids bowling, ten-pin bowling, that you you got to keep them on track. Like, do you, what 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 actually can you describe what you actually do? Do you speak to the client to sort of get this sort of strategy idea? Can you just walk, walk us through that? How that works? Um, yeah. No. Look, I think there's there's a there's a definite um, symbiotic relationship with a number of different you know teams within it. It's not just one. As you said, it's not just one department that holds that creativity. It's not that just that one department. But, you know, in the role of a strategist, I guess, you know, we're speaking with the client directly. At least I find that I'm most effective when I'm speaking directly with the client. I'm understanding um, what the issues are that's happening within the business as well as what's happening in the marketplace. And I'm going out there and I'm actually, you know, looking and seeing it and observing it for myself so I can really understand what that context is. And then I'm trying to um, define kind of, okay, 
if that is what we're trying to do and that's where we're trying to go to and that's the ambition that we have, then what are all of the different opportunities that we have to be able to solve that problem or to be able to overcome that challenge? And there could be two or three different um, opportunities that we would have. And then it's about going, okay, well, which one do we think is going to have the biggest impact? Which one do we think is going to actually move people and actually going to move the business in the right way? Um, It's not to say that there's a right or wrong answer. It's just which one based off of the research or the information or the data or the, um, what we know what's happening in the marketplace or based on our experience, um, do we know that it, or do we feel that it's going to have the biggest impact and make the biggest difference? And then it's then crafting that into a way that is, um, you know, articulating it in a, in a very pointy kind of, um, you know, way that, that excites people and rallies people around that decision, around that choice and gets them to go, yes, that's, <laughs> that's what we need to focus on. And then it's working, then it's going to the creative teams and going, hey, this is what we were lending on, giving them the context, giving them the choice, and then going, now we need you to bring that, that choice to life and connect in with people in the mediums and in the context that they're going to be most resonant to receive that information. And so can you come back to us with an idea that, that can achieve that um, and, and land this, land this, land this um, direction, basically. Does that explain it? Yeah, no, look, I think it does. It's interesting. We had uh, a woman, Amy Clymer, who's a, a creative teacher from the States on our podcast uh, last year, and she put us on to a, a, a creative uh, personality thing, a very simple one called Foresights, being F-O-U-R-S-I-G-H-T. And the four sort of characteristics they have is clarifiers, ideators, implementers, and um, developers. And, and you're probably you're probably in the uh, that, that clarifier role, you know. Um, and I certainly do relate to it in terms of my his, my uh, career as an architect. You know, it is that delving in the beginning before the designer gets it is like really, really what what is it all about? You know, what are the constraints? What are the client? What do they really want? Because um, often they don't know what they want. Yeah, it's, I think it's also not just what the client wants, but, um, you know, we know lots of businesses are moving towards this notion or this, you know, marketing term around customer centricity. And so it's like really helping them understand, well, what does that actually mean? It's not just a word that you say and you think that you do. It's um, it's really understanding, okay, what's the need in the marketplace? And then how, how are you addressing it as a brand or what role do you have as a brand to address that? Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess... Um, the, the, it's it's looking at it from that from that lens. I mean, yeah, yeah, and it is a clarifier role, but it's also um, in my head a creative role in that sense because you're pulling out the the need that that um, is and crafting the idea or the tension that's going to get people excited about about um, the role that you play in that space. Uh, there's a lovely moment. I, th- I think a lot of people would ask, you know, why can't clients do that? The, the people that run the brands or own the companies, they, you know, they surely know enough about their products to say this is why it's so good and then just make an ad about that. And it's strange that they don't because there seems, I think the clients especially get uh, surrounded by too much data often and, and they, they just go, just tell them it's great. This, this stuff we've got is wonderful. You know, write an ad about that. And I think the strategists go, well, it's good that it's lovely stuff, but we've got to work out what aspect of that is most likely to make a, make a splash in the marketplace. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I'll give you an example. I won't um, name the brand, but, like, we had a brand who we're working with who said, hey, we want to talk about um, – we want to talk about uh, free returns. And we're going, okay, that's great. You want to talk about free returns. So we want to tell everybody that we do free returns. Okay, great. You're not the only brand that does free returns. So what, what is it that's going to get somebody to care that you do free returns over somebody else? Like what is it that's the interesting bit? What's the context around that that's going to be um, exciting? And, and it's like, no, 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 we just want to tell people we do free returns. <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, well, you know, you could spend the money to tell people that you do free returns. And, and some people might realize and most people might know that you do free returns, but that doesn't mean they're going to actually come to you for your free returns. You know, so I think um, I think that, you know, being able to take the Thing that the client wants to sell or wants to talk about or wants to promote and then go okay well what context do we put that in to make it interesting how what, what do we how do we frame it in a way that's going to get somebody to go oh you know I need that I want that you know or I thought about you differently um, I think that's kind of a lot of the job that we do and I think that takes not just clarifying but it also takes a little bit of creativity and framing um before you can even get it to the creative you know you can't just go to the creative and say oh i want an ad that says free returns yeah. <laughs> give me an ad that says free returns for your information you know? um, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. you mentioned a word that we chatted about in our little pre-meet that, that it's clearly one that means a lot to you in the context of creativity and it's this word oh i use the word there right there the word context where, where the client's got this this desire to talk about free returns or whatever it might be and your response is to say, let's look at the context of that. Why does the word context mean so much to you in terms of developing a creative response? Mm. Well, because it helps us define the narrative, I guess, that's going to resonate with people the most. So, you know, again, if you take that example, you know, think about the context of what a free return would come into. It could be the fact that you bought a pair of jeans, you thought you were a size six, you got them home and you tried to put them on and you're actually a size 12 and here you are trying to put these skinny pants on and you can't get them on. You know, that's a pretty funny context, you know, and and then if you put a free return in the middle of that, that could be quite interesting. Or um, the context could be that you purchased something and you um, gifted it to a friend and actually, you know, she doesn't like that for whatever reason. And there's a different context that we could kind of lean into. And so it's just understanding actually how we can drive relevance, how we can drive um, a connection, how we can even reshape the meaning of free returns, you know, in, in this pandemic, you know, let, let's be honest in, in the pandemic, when you're not able to see family and friends, you don't know, you know, what they're into, you haven't been able to connect with them or, regularly you know perhaps the context of free t- returns can actually take on something more meaningful um in, in that way versus versus um what it typically had taken on so um i think it's it's about and then it then it gives it something not that's not just timeless but that's timely and that can get people to connect in with it so i guess that's why i think context is quite important and you can't do context um being within a company focused on your volume and your sales and your product you know stuff you've got to do context by looking out and being in the outside world and more focused on how people actually behave and what they want and what they're motivated by and I guess that's where the 
social work component or the sociology component of my background really has helped me in this kind of strategic role that I do play because um, I'm more in tune to really pay attention to, you know, how people actually um, behave or what they do actually care about in the different contexts that do arise that we could probably tap into. Can you give us some tips on Braille reading culture or the, the social context for things? I mean, there are lots of extensive books with long words, you can read market research, this is going to be the classical academics ways, but I always think of it as being about being out on the street and keeping your eyes open. Um, Do you have a particular way of understanding the context that a certain brand or product might live in? Um... Well, I'm trying to unpack what that means. (laughs) Well, um, I'll I'll give you my my tip. I I, I attach a lot of value to um, popular TV shows, and not just kind of just kind of some of them very funny, some of them very interesting. But you kind of go, well, why is that interesting at the moment? And it wasn't last year, and maybe it won't be next year. What is it? What nerve is it touching that means people are drawn to it? Um, so, for example, if, if there's, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe a lot of um, retro shows out at the moment, looking back in time and glorifying the 60s or the 50s and so on, and you sort of, you sort of feel like that, that might be a reflection of a society that's sort of scared of its own future and wants to live in the past a little bit. Maybe that kind of thing is a way of understanding mm. the context. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it goes, I, I, I think that... Um, when we think about how does a brand understand the context, I think it's about understanding um, what's important to people. What do they care about? What are, what are they actually really focused on? They're not thinking about your brand. They're not thinking about, you know, um, toothpaste, you know, <laughs> you, know the, you know, they, you know, depending on what, what um, is happening, they might be, they might be thinking about, you know, the Royals, you know, or they might be thinking about, um, shit right now Ukraine you know and what's happening there and I think that context of what's happening at an environmental economic and social level actually impacts the way that we um, connect in with brands and people and you know even the products that sit around us so um, I think we need to understand that context in order to be able to understand what role we can actually play and, and what meaning we can have in people's lives. I think the, the second level of context, though, is also like how our brand actually shows up in people's lives, you know, in what forms and what mediums and what channels and what in what um, adjacent, you know, um, content, because that actually can add meaning or give bad meaning (laughs) Um, to the brand, you know, like Pepsi is a great example when they launched that Super Bowl ad, I don't know, like two or three years ago with, you know, um, you know, that celebrity kind of going up to the barriers of, of um, police barriers, you know, they got crap loads of backlash because of the context in which the economic and societal environment was in Um, and, you know, poorly failed you know, in terms of that, because they didn't read the context right. They didn't read how people were going to interpret that message right. Um, And so I think it's about just understanding, you know, just really thinking about that and and the choices that we're making around there strategically um, as well as creatively. Can I, I want to go back to the stand-up comedy kind of discussion we had earlier, because I'm wondering, it sounds very academic, sounds very difficult to kind of understand these points. I, I have a theory that, if you allow your mind to relax and to laugh, 
you're actually much more able to get in touch with those contexts. You can kind of work it out. Your brain picks up on it when it's in a certain state and it's not an active cognitive analytical state. It might be a laughing state or it might be a kind of very kind of almost a meditative state. Does that make sense to you, the idea that maybe comics are great at understanding context because they laugh and their brains in that state are, are good at making connections? You know, I actually, um, yeah, prob- probably, but I also think I was watching Dave Chappelle um, and he was talking about like how he, and I actually think he's hilarious. I know there's a lot of people that have, um, you know, issues with him, but you know, he's straight up. He's, he says he's going to be provocative. He sets you up so you, you know what you're <laughs> yeah, in yeah. for. Um, but, you know, like he was talking about how he, how he does his work and he's, he's probably one of the most prominent comedians right you know right now in our time and he does research you know he's doing research he's he's looking at he's looking at the world around him he's practicing his lines you know his thinking on the people around him who are going to receive his message you know and he's getting real-time feedback to go no that's that's not funny or that is funny or or have you thought about that and he's taking that on board and then he's you know then he's crafting how he's going to tell that narrative and then he's and then that's how he's telling it to the crowd so you know when i think about that that's exactly what we're trying to be we're trying to do (laughs) i think i think there's because i was reading something recently about um comedians as well where the big thing is that they're being absolutely authentic you know they're absolutely transparent and and somehow you know they basically you know have our permission you know to to say it as they see it whereas you know and again it's a context thing in any other context people take emotional and people do take offense to some comedians but generally people don't take offense you know it's like Ricky Gervais you know he's up there apologizing the whole time just going, it's just me, you know. I can't, I can't help say this, but I think there's something about that that you know, in terms of back to your idea of context, because you know that is the context, and that context allows them to both explore, as you talked about, Shapali, that you know, explore his ideas and then communicate the ideas, because it is a context of of um, stand up. You know, if you did that, if you did that in a political context. Oh, he'd be shot dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't last a day, you know, it would last an hour. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roshi, I wonder if I could, I, I want to change something completely um, because you teased us with a really interesting idea about colour when we when we spoke. So I'm going to want to, I can't resist asking you about what you've learned to this. Area. You, you mentioned that as the human body gets older, the eye sees colour differently. And I just wonder what, what, how you'd spotted that and what that actually means. You're talking to somebody who recently had a birthday with a naught at the end of it, and so I'm very aware. I mean, maybe my eyes have changed. So <laughs> tell me more. What, what, how, does the, how does the human body change its view of colour over time? Yeah, look, I was working when I was in Melbourne um, and working down there. We were working with the University of Melbourne, and, you know, they do all sorts of different research projects and things like that. And... Um, we were actually talking to one of the researchers and he, he made this comment going, oh, you know, every single day, your eye, you know, when you're born, you know, every single day after that, your eye is consistently being, um, you know, used and it degenerates over time. You know, it's an every single day thing. It's slowly, it doesn't happen fast. It happens slowly. Um, for some people, it happens much faster. For other people, it happens, you know, um, much slower 
Um, and he was saying, you know, you interpret all of your messages, you know, through your eyes, you know, you, your, your senses, right? your eyes are one of the key things where you're interpreting messages, you're seeing it and you're hearing it. And, and so, you know, how you, you know, how you see something is really important because it's connecting and translating in your brain how you're going to be thinking about it or how you're going to relate to it or how you might um, connect in with it. And so he was just saying, you know, as your eye changes or as it, um, you know, kind of diminishes in its strength, it actually impacts the, the way that you interpret information and, and what you might see. And that's actually quite interesting. And then when I, we were connecting it to creativity, we we're going, well, actually, you know, in a lot of the work that we do in creativity, when we think of out of home and print and film and stuff like that, like we have lots of color, we use lots of color, we use lots of shapes, we use lots of movement and those shapes have meaning. The color has meaning. Um, all of those things have meaning attached to it. And when we as brands and as marketers are trying to create a piece of content that's communicating a piece of meaning, we want people to interpret our meaning in the right way. You know, what happens if actually how you're designing that, you know, meaning is being consumed by somebody who's interpreting it differently because of their aging eye. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, you know, and actually that, that, that was, it was like a light bulb moment to me going, Oh my God, why haven't we talked about this? And why, who, who, why aren't people looking into this? You know, we have 18 year olds, 20 year olds, I shouldn't say 18, but you know, 20 year olds designing creative output based on their eye and what they think is interesting. And for an audience who might be, you know, 30 or 40 or 50, who is, has a different, um, you know, kind of eye in terms of the information that they're consuming. And so they might not, not actually be interpreting it in the right way. It's actually, uh, I suppose, a demonstration of that uh, from an artist's perspective. There's a, a famous Australian artist, Lloyd Reese, uh, who was a Queensland artist but spent a lot of time in Sydney. And he was an incredible draftsperson. Uh, he might have even studied as an architect, but beautiful watercolours and, you know, not photographic, but, you know, just incredible line work. But he, he lived into his late 90s and his latest, last paintings were these sort of sky land things, which were much like a Rothko painting, yeah, yeah. you know, which was just this sort of blurring, you know. And I think it was probably a little bit to do with his motor skills, but he's also his colorization as well. Um, and if you look at his work as a, if you look at his work as a, as a way that he saw the world, um, you can understand. And I recently uh, read somewhere that they think that uh, Van Gogh had a some sort of thing with his eye that he saw colours differently, and that's why he painted like Starry Night and things like that. So I think that's a really interesting thing. And you know, often you know, there's so much attention paid to uh, you know the, the generation of the hearing, uh, and, and and we make allowances for that. But with sight, it's like generally we see, then we don't see. You know, it seems to be more black and white, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really... But there are shades of colour. Your industry, mostly the advertising industry, tends to be full of young people. And so mm. there would be this assumption that if everyone sees the world as we see it and therefore I'm going to write or I'm going to art direct. For me, for people like me, rather than people who see the world differently, so... I th- yeah, that's fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. So that's something I'm I'm 
pretty excited by, you know, like design and the aging eye and really um, I haven't found a partner to really explore it properly. I have this grand plan of all the things <laughs> I would do and the different color palettes I would make and, and so on and so forth. Um, um, I just haven't had the um, one the time or the partner to actually um, expand on it, but it is a subject matter that I'm, I'm quite passionate about and think is, is something that should be explored more deeply because um, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. And it could actually change the way that we actually design some of our work or how we, how we look at um, even brands and, and packaging and um, you know, how we might have different, you know, potential um, opportunities that might exist there. So, um, yeah, it's something that's, that I'm quite curious about. Um, so if you want a partner, let me know. <laughs> you probably got, at the risk of giving too much away, you've probably got a great research audience right here. Yeah. <laughs> I've just, just written a blog post about um, when you're connecting with people online to wear brighter colours because we're no longer physically in the same room. You know, us three are all in different locations at the moment and, and your face and Paul's face are the size of a postage stamp on my screen. So my, my point is you, you have to stand out. And today I'm wearing a bright, well, brightish red shirt just to help me stand out a bit more. So maybe we are thinking the same thoughts. Yeah, and I think that's also linked back to, like, um, again, not to get, this is a completely different subject, but um, color, you know, color has lots of meaning. Different shades of color actually mean different things. There's so much research that's been done on this. Um, how it not just is interpreted in terms of the messages, but how it makes you feel even. So, you know, as you said, you know, bright, wearing bright colors. Well, it's because not only does it make you feel like you're present and, and there and active, um, but it also, you know, forces you to feel excitement and energy and vibrancy and those types of things. Um, but it could also be interpreted as being loud and, you know, <laughs> you know, like stand out and it could send a particular message um, from that particular way. Not to say that that's, you know, your red is doing that, but I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, there's lots of research on, color and the impact of color on your mood on your on the way you interpret information and and then when we link that to an aging eye that might be interpreting colors in different shades that we hadn't intended well there could be some really interesting learnings off the back of that um that i just i just found fascinating i'm like oh that's i want, I want to explore more <laughs> so that red you know uh simulates the appetite and chris you don't normally wear a red shirt and all of a sudden i'm feeling hungry so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> which pull I need to know which color reduces the appetite. I need that color. Now that explains a lot. <laughs> it's, not, it's not black because I'm only wearing black, and uh, I'm so always I think, it, I think it might be green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Right. Roshni, that, that has been a fantastic discussion. Uh, sadly, our time is up. We could talk uh, forever uh on this subject you gave us some great insights uh particularly around around context and this this idea of color and the aging eye so uh thank you so much today to sharing uh, with us your insights and thank you for me too I, i've learned about stand-up comedy and the comedian, <laughs> comedian's view of strategy um and i i introduced you as being kind of somebody who works who's basically the brain box inside an advertising and you've done nothing to dispel that theory yet Roshni. Uh, i'm blown away <laughs> with your insights thank you so much for joining us <laughs> oh thank you for having me i really appreciate it thank you 
So thank you so much, Roshni. Um, another leap forward in our understanding of creativity. Um, it, we'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Please share your comments um, in the chat box below. And of course, uh, we'd love it if you subscribe to the channel um, so you don't miss out on any future podcasts. Yes, and um, also we've launched a new website called The Two Common Creators. It's uh, Chris and I. That's T-W-O, not 2-O-O, as some might say otherwise. And we have a brand new program, Communication Leadership Ideas and Stories That Matter. So if you go to twocommoncreatives.com, links will be in the show notes below. You'll be able to check out our new offering. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Communication Leadership. We think it's going to be huge. Come to the workshops, sign up for the online program. See you all soon.